Would you turn your books to Mark chapter 13, please? We'll be reading verses 5 to the end of 11. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not be worried. Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Good morning. Revelation chapter one verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. The sermon title, as you've noticed, is The Time is Near. I could have also entitled this sermon, The Signs of the Times, or Be Prepared. Because all of those thoughts are the things that I want to share with us today. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, Jesus that is, and asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot, but cannot discern the signs of the time? When I was a boy, my dad used to say, Red sky at morning, sailor's warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. I didn't understand that. I knew he was talking about storms and things like that. But I remember that from the time I was just very, very young. And as Doug read to us in Matthew chapter 5, it says that we need to be careful that we are not misled by those who are false teachers. In this particular reading, in, in the book of Mark, it talks about a nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. And he says, but these are merely the beginning of birth pains. And he says for us that we need to be on our guard. There are certainly wars taking place in various parts of this world. There are famines. There's news that... We, as a world, basically, or nations, 
are at war with the terrorist group ISIS. We know of military takeovers in various places, for instance, Russia taking over the Ukraine. And I want to say right up front that I, like Amos of the Old Testament, am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. So I don't want anybody thinking that I'm trying to prophesy something here today. Amos said that he was a herdsman and that he was a grower of sycamore figs. And yet much of his message to the Israelites at that time was the things that were coming upon the nation because of their disobedience to God and the fact that they had replaced God with other things. When I first became a Christian, I was trying to study with an older gentleman, a lonely bachelor, and he believed that the Apostle John was still alive. And he told me that he was sending money to this gentleman. Every month he wrote checks and sent money to the Apostle John. I didn't know enough scripture at the time to know how to answer this. I was a brand new Christian. I hardly knew where the books of the Bible were at that time. My point is that we need to be people of the book. We need to be to read and study God's word so that we always may be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is within us, yet with gentleness and reverence. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. A few weeks ago, I was thinking about the state of our world. I was thinking about some of the news that we seem to see every evening on the nightly, on the nightly broadcasts. And I wonder to myself, are these the signs of the end? Do we need to pay attention? And then even maybe a more pertinent question, more important question, if so, are we prepared as individuals? Are we prepared as a people? Now, I'm quite aware of verses in the Bible, for instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul says, For you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And also Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will melt with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. No one can predict the time or the hour of the Lord's second coming. The other day in one of my Bible uh, readings entitled or devotional readings are daily bread. The writer talked about Fire Mountain, also known as Mount Merapi in Indonesia, that's 2,900 meters high. And if you're old school like me you, and relate more to feet, that's 9,600 feet high. It's one of the world's most dangerous volcanoes. A few years ago, that volcano showed signs of renewed activity. And the government tried to evacuate the local re residents, but they refused. 
On May 13th of 2006, Merapi spewed forth a great plume of gray smoke and volcan- uh, volcanic ash. The villagers ignored the warnings and they went back to herding their livestock. They apparently forgot that Merapi had actually killed 60 people in 1994, only 12 years earlier. The point is that as human beings, we tend to ignore signs. Let me talk about the signs of the times. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, floods, wildfires, killing and death, destruction of property, depravity, calling evil good and good evil. Look back again, if you will, to Mark, the 13th chapter, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. I recognize that both Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13 are difficult chapters to understand. Part of it, I know, refers to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. But part of it also refers to the end times, to the second coming of Christ. And as I look at the world that we live in, I think the world society is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. Because if there's a Christian demonstration, or if it comes to a prayer being offered in school, or even in our courthouse, it is no longer allowed. It is looked down on. And yet, I see there are other religious organizations. Religious organizations do not recognize Christ as the Savior of the world. Those religious organizations are given freedoms and rights, while Christian freedoms are taken away. Political correctness is a huge issue in today's world. Anything and everything now seems to be acceptable. For a long time, I have said that I do not wish to be politically correct. Because I think that when you are politically correct, it is usually to be morally wrong. I personally believe that political correctness is one of the devil's tools to blur the lines between that which is right and that which is wrong and unacceptable. Listen to James. James chapter 4 and verse 17. James says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. And verse 32. And just before this, he talks about a number of different things. The depravity in our world, or in his world at the time, 
in the first century. And then he says, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. We need to discern the times. We need to be prepared. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. A few weeks ago I talked about the gods of this world. I need to mention those again. Hedonism, which is a worldly attitude where pleasure or happiness becomes the highest good. The second God is narcissism, where self is king, where I put myself before everyone else. I am number one in my world. The third God is consumerism, could also be called materialism, or greed, the desire for things. One example of this I happened to notice it in the sun on July 28th of this month. The headline was, Nobody's Perfect. It had a picture of an individual on there. And the lame excuse of this man who stole $160,000 from an 89-year-old World War II veteran who is now left penniless. His excuse is, I'm only human, people make mistakes, Nobody's perfect. In this case, this particular individual made the mistake 103 times as he cleaned out this gentleman's bank account. I'm only human. People make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. In other words, no big deal. No big deal. I wanted the money and I took it. It was a mistake. And that's the attitude, the point that I'm trying to make is an example of an attitude that is so prevalent in our world today. In my daily Bible reading the other day, I read about Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. At this time, the Israelites had turned to the worship of Baal because Ahab, and particularly his wife Jezebel, had influenced the Israelite people so far in this. But they hadn't given up completely on God. They still kind of worshipped God, but they worshipped this God Baal as well. And in verse 21, Elijah happens to come along. 
And he came near to the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. It's interesting. Look at the response of the people. But the people did not answer him a word. And so Elijah proposes a contest between himself and 450 prophets of Baal, one individual against 450 people who would fill this room and more. The odds, you'd say, wouldn't be very great, would it, on Elijah's side. But I want to remember you to remember one thing, that when God is on your side, you are in a majority. Well, the, the contest took place, you remember, that they, they slew an oxen and put it on the, prophet, on the wood. And uh, Elijah said, the God who answers by fire, he is God, serve him. And the prophets of Baal tried to get their God to set that fire under that wood. And they leaped around the altar. They cut themselves and their blood was flowing out. They were shouting and calling out to Baal. And as we know, Baal did not answer because he was an idol god, a no god. And so Elijah made fun of them. He said, call to your god. Perhaps Baal is sleeping. Or maybe he's gone on a journey. Or maybe he is occupied. And I understand from those who know the original language of the Bible, Hebrew, that that, that he is occupied actually means maybe he's gone to the bathroom. When the people saw the outcome, they cried out, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then they killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Let me go back to where Elijah started this. And he said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? You've probably heard, as I have, that old adage or old saying, that if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's basically what the Israelites were guilty of. Maybe that's what our society is guilty of. That we don't know what to stand for anymore. And so we are become people who will fall for anything. And I'm afraid that in our, in our political correctness, in our support of human rights and freedoms, that's important, but you can carry that too far, and I think that's what's happened here. We have become a society that no longer stands for much of anything, and particularly for that which is right. Now, perhaps you don't agree with that statement, but I'd ask you to be too quick, not to be too quick with your opinion. Go back. And read 1 Kings chapter 18 and think about what happened in that contest and where the Israelite people were at that particular period of time. I want to talk now because of the things I've said about the importance, the need for reconciliation. I believe that as Christians, we need to be ambassadors to this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Beginning in verse 18, Paul says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Ambassadors. And we need to be careful of that which we associate with. In chapter 6, verse 14, Paul goes on to say, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Stays it another way. We could say what Paul is saying here is to withdraw from that which contaminates and draw near to that which perfects. And I thought different times of a brother in Christ, I will not name him. Many of you would know who I speak of if I told you. Some of you might even know the story. But I remember him saying that at one time he worked in a large car dealership. And he was a service manager at this particular, as I recall, at this particular dealership. And he became concerned that in the shop, customers were having their cars taken in and they were being charged for parts that didn't need to be replaced. Sometimes the part was just shined up and the people were returned their cars but charged for a new part and the labor that went along with it. Well, he objected to the the general manager of the dealership, and he was told, this is how we do things at this dealership, and you will do it or there's the door. This gentleman took the door. He started up his own shop, and he was successful from day one because he was honest. He was a Christian. And if he said he put a part on your car, you knew that he had put a part on your car. It is very important that as a people, we understand the importance of obedience to God. An example that I thought of was Saul and Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel from God, tells Saul that he is to go out and utterly destroy the Amalekites. 
Now, that word, utterly destroy, we could understand it as wipe them out. They were supposed to be gone from the face of the earth because of their wickedness. Saul and his army went out, and they mostly did what they'd been told. But they saved the king, King Agag, alive. And, in first, and some of the choicest of the, of the livestock. And in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 23, Samuel told Saul something that he didn't really want to hear. He said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. We could say it, I guess, today. To obey is better than just acting religious. Or being religious. Obedience is so very important. On June 19th, I wrote wrote down a quote that Brother Wayne Turner in his sermon quoted. And he said, there's two kinds of people God will have a hard time with. Those who are unwilling to repent and those who are unwilling to forgive. You could, I guess, boil that down to say... Those who are unwilling to obey God. We need to be aware of the world that we live in. We can't be like the proverbial ostrich and bury our heads in the sand and hope things will go away because they won't. We need to be aware of the world that we live in. We need to think about the signs of the times. Right now, I personally think the signs are quite ominous. But again, I hasten to say that I am not a prophet. I do not know the date, the time, nor the hour of our Lord's return and the final judgment on mankind. But I do know that we all of us need to be reconciled to God. I know that we need to be involved in calling our world to reconciliation to God. We need to be people of the book. We need to stand for what is right. Not hesitate between two opinions or to be politically correct and morally wrong. We need to be repentant as individuals. And I believe particularly as well as a nation. We need to be forgiving. We need to be people of love. And we need to be ready. In Jesus' words, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And for this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. May God bless his holy word. Hey, the victory, hey.